Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Hello, this is Dr. Jim Morrow. I am with Morrow Family Medicine. We have offices in Cumming and Milton, Georgia. Uh, we serve people pretty much all over the area of North Georgia, and we're very pleased that people take their, their health and put it in our hands and give us an opportunity to take care of them. Uh, one of the things that's very important to us at Mara Family Medicine is seeing you when you need us, so feel free to use our walk-in hours, 730 to 830, Monday through Friday. And if that doesn't work for you, call, and we will move heaven and earth to try to get an appointment for you that day or as soon as we possibly can. And we think that you'll find that it's convenient and effective health care, and we appreciate the opportunity. I'm here in the studio with John Ray. John, again, is running the board, and he's screening emails and tweets from our listeners. Hello, John. Good morning, Dr. Morrow. Dr. Jim. <laughs> so we do How you doing have, today? I'm good. I'm good. good. So you we, know, our audience is growing, so this job's getting tougher over here, screening the questions and all that kind of stuff, so I'm, I'm wanting to raise. I knew that was coming. I just wasn't sure when. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Talk to your boss about that. I will. So we do have email and Twitter set up so that you can contact us with comments and questions and so forth. They'll, by email, the address is drjim at toyourhealth.md. That's drjim at toyourhealth.md. And on Twitter, we are at toyourhealthmd. So I said last time we were going to talk about sleep apnea this week. And sleep apnea is a, a very, very common thing that I see in the office a good bit. I see a lot of undiagnosed sleep apnea, but I certainly do see those that have already been diagnosed. There are two main types of sleep apnea. Uh, one is obstructive sleep apnea, and the other one is central apnea. Now, central apnea is not very common. It's only probably one out of ten people. It's a condition where the central nervous system doesn't give your muscles the go-ahead signal from your brain to tell them to breathe. So either the brain doesn't send the signal or the signal gets interrupted. But that's not a large percentage of people with apnea. And then there's obstructive sleep apnea. Some people refer to it as OSA. But when you hear people talk about sleep apnea, the vast majority of the time they're going to be talking about this. This is nine out of 10 people that have this problem. It's a condition where something is blocking the airway that brings air into your body or what's called the trachea. And so there's some obstruction there. In, in many, many cases, the obstruction is the tongue, and it falls back when you're laying down, and it blocks off the airway, and you move, and it opens, and you uh, jostle around, and it opens, and it closes, and opens, and it can happen a lot of times. When you try to, get a, try to breathe, try to get a good breath, you can't because of this blockage. It could be the tongue, like I mentioned. It could also be tonsils. It can be even the little hangy-down thing in the back of your throat. That's called the uvula. And in some cases, it can be huge and even require some surgery to make it smaller because it can be obstructing. It also could be nothing more than just a large amount of tissue and fatty tissue and so in the throat or overly relaxed throat muscles. So there's a lot of stuff in the back of your throat that controls uh, swallowing and breathing and that kind of thing. And when you're laying down, especially if you're overweight, this can become an obstruction to your ability to breathe. It's a real common disorder. It's a very common disorder. And I, I think probably uh, many, many people have it and have no idea that they have it. 
it seems that I've dealt with everything we've done a podcast on, and I certainly have sleep apnea. And uh, I didn't know it for many, many years. And since I've started treating mine, I've been a completely different person. So I can attest to the fact that this is a very important thing. What happens is it does cause the patient, the person, to temporarily stop their breathing or to decrease their breathing when they're asleep. People who have sleep apnea may stop breathing for anywhere from 10 to 30 seconds, could be a little longer at a time. And these, these stoppages can happen hundreds of times a night. And what I usually tell patients is you might go to bed at night and sleep all night like a rock, quote unquote, and wake up in the morning and think you just slept great, but you're still tired because you, you've been woken up hundreds of times during the night. And that means you're not getting restful sleep. You're not getting continuous sleep. You're not able to get through the phases of sleep. And if that happens, this, this fragmented, non-restful sleep leads to symptoms like headache in the morning, uh, excessive daytime sleepiness is a huge problem. It's a, it's a problem in, on the roadways because people are going to sleep driving. It's a problem at work because people are going to sleep at work, and if they have a desk job, they're not productive. And if they have a job around machinery, it's incredibly dangerous. So it's a, a big problem in that regard. Now, the people that are usually affected by sleep apnea are more often men than women, but also more often overweight and more often older. So if you have a, an overweight man who is 50 or plus, then the odds are good that he's got some sleep apnea. And if that particular person complains of fatigue, I'm willing to say at all, really, then they ought to be seen and checked out and have some questions answered and, and see about getting a, a test to see if this is the problem. Sleep apnea is not just a problem because it interrupts your sleep, though. Its first effect that people feel is fatigue and not being rested and so forth. But sleep apnea has been linked to a variety of other conditions that are at least as important, if not in some cases more important. Uh, one of the ones that we know about already is it can be uh, linked to heart failure. If you have untreated sleep apnea for years and years and years, your oxygen levels fall in while you're not while you're sleeping and not breathing properly, and that can affect a lot of things. You can have develop high blood pressure, you can develop heart disease, heart arrhythmias, and even depression can be linked to sleep apnea. Now, there are not a lot of symptoms. Like I said, you might feel tired, but knowing for sure if you have sleep apnea is not something you can tell just by the fact that you might snore. When you have a, a person who is a loud snorer, they might also, or a separate person might gasp during their sleep, you might have one that, that visibly stops breathing and then makes a loud gasping sound when they start back again and so forth. That's not uncommon. And it's not uncommon for spouses to be the ones that bring this to the attention of the patient or even the physician. I've had many a situations where the wife was in the exam room by herself for some other reason, and she says, by the way, you've got to see John because not you, John, not, not you, not, never, never you, John. But I'm you might guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but you might need to see John because he's a snorer or he has these problems. So it's not uncommon for the spouse to bring it up. And when you do that, it's it's probable that when you do go to the doctor, they're going to ask some pointed questions about your energy level and about your sleep too. Um, one thing I do is I look at the patient and I'll say, "What size neck is that?" 
And these days, some people are still wearing dress shirts, and they'll be able to say it's an 18 or an 18 and a half. And I'll tell them, are you treating your, or ask them, are you treating your sleep apnea? And they'll say, I don't have sleep apnea. And I'll say, I bet you $100 you do. And I've never gotten paid on that bet, but I can promise you I've won that bet many times. My rule is if you have an 18-inch neck, you have sleep apnea until proven otherwise. So it's one of the many things that can, can play a part in this. The diagnostic test, the test where you can actually look on paper and see that somebody has sleep apnea, is a sleep study. It's got a fancy name. It's a nocturnal polysomnography, but trust me, it's a sleep study. Back in the old days, when I was first diagnosed, you did a sleep study by going to the sleep center, and you take a suitcase, and you go in there, and they wire up. You looked like a robot by the time you got finished. You had 25 wires coming off your head and around your chest and so forth, and, you, and they say, okay, go to sleep. Well, that's not so easy for some people. So luckily now, there are some very good home tests that you can do. They'll give you a machine. You take it home. You hook yourself up. It records data on a data card. You take it back, and they can look at that, and they can tell if you've had these periods when you didn't, didn't breathe properly while you were sleeping. This has been a good substitute. It's reduced the cost of sleep studies a good bit, and it's really raised our ability to find these patients that do have sleep apnea and do something about it. So what can we do about it? The primary treatment for sleep apnea is CPAP. If you've never heard of CPAP, that stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. And it's exactly what it sounds like. You've probably heard of people wearing a mask when they sleep. Uh, and this mask forces air into the airway at a pretty good rate. Uh, it's actually uh, very forceful. If you take it off, you can hear and feel the air coming through it. It's just room air. In most cases, it's not oxygen itself, just room air. And some of these things are a full mask that goes over your face. Some are a mask that goes only over your nose. Some are a device, not really a mask, that goes up under your nose and, and, and goes up against your nose, a very soft silicone uh, device that goes up against your nose and the air goes into your nose. And as long as you're not a mouth breather, that thing called a nasal pillow is a very good option. But somehow you've got to increase the pressure. And what that pressure does is to very simply expand the tissues in your mouth. It blows them apart to keep them from collapsing one onto the other. And when you stop that, the sleep apnea is gone. Now, it's not curative. It's a problem that you control night after night. But I will tell you that you'll have to rip mine out of my cold, dead hand. I am not giving it up. I'm a whole different person in almost every way when I use it versus the time two years ago when we went on vacation, I forgot to take it, and I was miserable all weekend and even when I got home until I used the machine that first night. So that's CPAP, and that's a very broad coverage of what it is, but it gives you the idea of what's necessary and what's involved. I will tell you that people complain about these things, and if you're complaining about your CPAP or if you get one and you don't like it, you need to continue to talk with your provider about what other mask you might use because there probably is a mask out there that you can wear and that you can wear successfully and, and comfortably, and you need to find that one because you need to be able to treat this. You need to be able to treat it well and accurately. When you do this, when you continue to communicate with your provider and get more education about the mask and about the process and get hopefully support from them and some, some ideas from them, the adherence rates go up tremendously. 
but nothing increases adherence rates, rates like perseverance because once you start seeing how much better you feel, which frequently is after the first night, then you're going to be hooked on this, and you're going to be something you're not going. It's going to be something you're not going to give up. But CPAP's not the only thing you can do. So if you if you look in the literature, you look in Google, which I know you all will, for other things you can do for sleep apnea. One of the first things you'll see is weight reduction. Well, that's pretty much a no brainer. And if you listen to the podcast on diets, you know it's also incredibly difficult. And if you've ever tried it, you also know it's incredibly difficult. But there's no question, losing weight makes a big difference for the obvious reasons. There is an oral device, a mouth guard-like device that you can use. This is a device that goes in your mouth, it's upper and lower, and it's made in such a way that it forces the lower jaw outward just a small amount, just enough so that it pulls the tongue at the back of the throat away from the other tissues. And it can be very effective. It can be a little bit hard on your jaw because it does strain the jaw ligaments and the jaw joint a little bit. And if you wore it for many nights, uh, it might get a little bit uncomfortable, but I do believe, because people do use them all the time, that if you wear it regularly, it's something your jaw would adjust to. The ligaments will stretch and so forth, and your jaw will be okay. This device works for a lot of things, but it does not seem, through the research at least, to, to improve the daytime sleepiness or the other me measures of a night's sleep. Now, it does prevent apnea, so that's a good thing. So it can help prevent the cardiac complications and other things that come from sleep apnea. But it, it doesn't seem to, to improve the daytime sleepiness, which is the first complaint that a lot of people have in the first place. Another thing that happens when you have sleep apnea is you can have a condition similar to what's called restless legs, uh, a lot of excessive lower limb movement and so forth. So when you start treating sleep apnea, a lot of times you'll find that these things get better as well. There are also, in the way of treating sleep apnea, there are surgeries you can do to correct anatomic obstructions and so forth. Uh, years ago, there was a very popular surgery that was done to remove part of the soft palate in the back of the throat and the uvula. And I see a fair number of patients who have had that done. And unfortunately, the vast majority of them are using CPAP to treat their sleep apnea because although it was a surgery for that, it's not particularly effective. And then along the weight loss line, another surgery that can be done is bariatric surgery. You can do something, some weight loss surgery, if you will, to try to help you lose weight, which obviously is going to help with sleep apnea. The most recent thing, though, surgically that's been around is a device called Inspire, which is a device sort of like a pacemaker that's implanted into your chest and has a lead run into the back of the tongue. And you turn this on when you go to bed and sometime after you go to sleep, it stimulates the tongue and moves it forward to, again, get it away from the other tissues and not cause an obstruction. I do have two or three patients, I think is all I have, who've had this done. The ones that I've talked to have been pretty happy with it. It sounds like something that would be uncomfortable, but it's apparently not. And so you can turn that on when you go to bed, and it'll run for a certain period of time and turn off, I believe. So that's an option if the whole idea of CPAP is something that you just don't think you can do. So in spite of all the talk about CPAP and all the fact that I look for it, and a lot of doctors look for it daily in the exam room, probably 
80 to 90 percent of the people in the country that have CPAP, have, have sleep apnea, excuse me, have never been diagnosed with sleep apnea. And that's either because they haven't looked for it, the doctor hasn't looked for it, or they haven't presented to the doctor the symptoms that might lead them down that road. So I've told you before, and I'm going to tell you again, don't say those five most dangerous words in the English language, which are, maybe it will go away. And if you find that you're having excessive daytime sleepiness, you need to talk to your physician about the possibility of having sleep apnea. And it's not all fat people. I don't mean to imply that everybody's got to be overweight to have this. I do have very thin patients that also have sleep apnea because of the tissues in the back of their throat. There are, when you go to the doctor and talk about this, there are three main questions the doctor's probably going to ask you or topics he's going to talk to you about. One is snoring. And like I said, you don't have to be a snorer to have sleep apnea, but a lot of sleep apnea patients do snore. The other is excessive daytime sleepiness. I mentioned that, and that's something he probably talked to you about. And the third one is reports of witnessed episodes where you actually stop breathing. So have that information with you when you go, and I believe that'll be helpful to you. In situations where these these questions are asked, the diagnosis increases about eight times. So it's a, a very helpful series of questions, and that little bit of information can really help to lead you down the right road towards getting this better. I usually tell patients that snore that the main thing that happens when they start treating their sleep apnea is that their ribs don't hurt anymore. And they'll look at me cross-eyed, and I'll say, because your wife's not elbowing you to turn over and quit snoring, and your ribs feel better. So that's another advantage of using CPAP. Quality of sleep and excessive daytime sleepiness that I keep talking about has a horrible effect on your overall functioning. Everybody knows that if you don't sleep well, certainly for a few days even, you're just not the same person. You're not as sharp as you would otherwise be. Your memory's not as good as it would otherwise be. Your fine motor skills are not as good as they would otherwise be. And it's a real problem. And it's, it's been linked to, as I kind of alluded to earlier, motor vehicle crashes. And if you can start treating this problem and become more alert, we're going to have less of that. In studies where blood pressure was measured following treatment for sleep apnea, both the daytime and the nighttime blood pressure levels have been found to come down significantly. This decrease in blood pressure is obviously beneficial, and it can help prevent the progression to other cardiovascular diseases. The key, though, to making the diagnosis is speaking to a physician who's aware of this and who will set you up for a sleep study that can actually help you to, to end that cycle of not resting every night because there's a huge difference between sleeping and resting. And if you have this problem and you start treating it, you're going to immediately know what I'm talking about. The dramatic improvement in quality of life that occurs is something that I think is instrumental in having patients talk to their friends about this and also to continue to treat it on a nightly basis in spite of their love-hate relationship with a CPAP mask. This episode of To Your Health is brought to you by Mara Family Medicine. I appreciate everyone listening to these. I've had some fantastic comments from patients and friends about the podcast, and I'm glad the word's getting out. 
the word about Mara Family Medicine has been getting out, and we've been so blessed with patients wanting us to provide their health care. Uh, we have these two offices I mentioned in Cumming and in Milton, Georgia. Uh, we have the walk-in hour in the morning. Uh, we have a variety of different types of providers. We have two MDs. We have three PAs. We have a nurse practitioner. If you know a female family doc that's looking for a job, I'd love to talk to her because we are every day looking for a female doctor. So also, if you want to make sure you don't miss any episodes of To Your Health, take a moment to subscribe to To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow on whatever app or appliance you're listening to us right now. So getting back to sleep apnea, I want to talk about what happens if you don't treat sleep apnea. One of the things that's been linked to, and I mentioned this a few minutes ago, is high blood pressure. About half of the patients who have high blood pressure have sleep apnea. And conversely, about half of the people who have sleep apnea have high blood pressure. So there's a growing body of evidence, a lot of research still being done on this, that suggests that sleep apnea is a major contributing factor in the development of what we call essential hypertension or high blood pressure. And high blood pressure is one of the things that we usually don't identify a cause for. It's just what we call essential hypertension, and essential means it just happens out of the blue. There's nothing you did to cause it. Nothing just happens just the way you are. It's the way you're built. And we're finding now that a lot of people that have untreated sleep apnea for too long are developing high blood pressure. I keep mentioning excessive daytime sleepiness, and that's what a lot of people would just call fatigue. But it's a, it's a condition where during the day you're sitting at your desk and you fall asleep with your hand on your mouse, or you're driving down the road and you're nodding off. And it's an obvious health problem. It's a public health problem as well. This particular problem affects probably two out of ten people. I'd be willing to say it's that number. These people are at risk for all manner of accidents, and their overall health is poorer than comparable adults who don't have this. The most common causes are sleep deprivation, not sleep apnea necessarily, but sleep deprivation, and then that group of people that do have sleep apnea, and then sedating medications. There are an awful lot of medications that are available to patients over the counter that can sedate you, and there are an awful lot of patients who will become sedated by medicines that will say on the bottle that they won't sedate you. So you have to be careful taking medications in that regard as well. There are other medical and psychiatric conditions such as narcolepsy, that can lead to excessive sleepiness. Probably 26 to 30% of people uh, who are at, are at risk of or already have sleep apnea. And so there's a large, large number. If you look at 26 to 30% of the population, it's a huge number. And it's probably getting higher. And I think it's higher than that in Georgia. Everybody knows Georgia is a very heavy state. And so we, I do believe, have a higher percentage than that. Another thing that happens if you have untreated sleep apnea is you can have heart disease. You can have heart failure. You can have heart disease itself where you have blockages in arteries and such. So whether sleep apnea actually causes heart disease is not clear. But we do know that if you have sleep apnea today, the chance that you will develop hypertension or heart disease in the future increases significantly. And that's if you're not treating the sleep apnea. We've had some difficulty finding the line and the connection between sleep apnea and heart disease, except that we do know people with sleep apnea often have other coexisting diseases as well. We're talking about 
overweight people in large part, so there's a lot of people that have diabetes and so forth, and that can play a part as well. So can you prevent sleep apnea? Can you avoid having sleep apnea? Well, you can. It's not easy, but you can. The things that I would tell you to do if you want to try that is stop using any and all alcohol. Don't drink alcohol. And don't use medicines that are made to help you sleep because when you get sedated by those medicines, you're more relaxed. The muscles are more relaxed. You're more likely to have an obstruction occur at the back of the throat. If you smoke, quit smoking. And even if you're not concerned about sleep apnea, if you smoke, quit smoking. If you're overweight, lose weight. And that's easy to sit here and say. It's difficult to do, but it is one of the things that will help you avoid this. Another thing that you can do, actually, is sleep on your side instead of on your back. That's also easy to do, at least when you start sleeping. But once you're asleep, it's very difficult to control that. I have had patients who would get someone to sew tennis balls into the back of their shirt that they sleep in so that if they roll over on their back, it's incredibly comfortable. I'm pretty certain that if I did that, I would just sleep right through that and it wouldn't bother me a bit. But that is one of the things you can do. That obviously keeps you from being on your back so that the tissues are not collapsing straight down and closing off your airway. So that's a quick and dirty overview of sleep apnea and what you can do about it and what it can do to you if you don't do something about it. But, John, I heard that we have a couple of guests. We do. We've got a couple of guests. And uh, so let me – they're on the phone, so let me set this up. So we had an episode, uh, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago about vaping. We did. Yep. And uh, we we had uh, two young ladies over at – Taylor Road Middle School, who had a podcast project. So they had to do a podcast for their language arts class. Yeah. Uh, pod, uh, podcast project. And they uh, got in touch with, or got a hold of your episode. And they did an episode of their own on vaping. Did they really? That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. So I've got uh, live from Taylor Road Middle School, I've got. Uh, Sion Kim and Ananya Shaker, and they are in the eighth grade at Taylor Road Middle School in Dr. Ray's class. Yes, there is a relation there. <laughs> so, um, uh, so Sion and Ananya, welcome. Hi. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah. So why don't you tell everybody about the project you did, why you picked this topic, and what inspired you about the episode that you heard with Dr. Morrow? Um, so we chose vaping as our issue because it's, it's really a problem that face, our society is facing today. Um, many people think that it's like okay to vape because it's better than or healthier than smoking cigarettes. But we wanted to do a project that shows how harmful vaping is on the human body. And um, we wanted to do, a, to do a project to become more aware of the problems of vaping because even we weren't sure about it. I think that's a wonderful thing. Girls, thanks so much for calling in. I think this is great. 
And I think it's wonderful that you took a problem that is a clear public health problem for, for children your age, for young adults your age, and, and did this. So tell me about how that went. So the purpose for our podcast project was to research a topic that we thought was important to our generation. And since vaping is a modern problem, we decided to revolve our project around that. So do you actually see kids your age at your school that carry a vape or have been doing that? Yes. Do you really? Well, I hope you will direct them to your podcast so they can learn that that's not a great thing for them to be doing. (laughs) Yeah. And this was a project in language arts. What kind of grade did you get on that? Well, you know, we got an A. Well, don't sound disappointed. That's fantastic. I think that's exactly what you should have got. That's wonderful. Yeah, so they did a good impression of you in this podcast. Really? Yeah, you, yeah they, one of them. Which, now, which one of you, Ananya or Sion, which one of you impersonated Dr. Morrow? Um, the impersonation was done by Ananya. Oh. Was it really? Well, that's the greatest form of... of flattery i do believe i appreciate that i think they sounded better than you did (laughs) they certainly sound younger and smarter (laughs) yes for sure (laughs) well ladies what do you want to do when you finish school have y'all thought about it that far well we don't really have any plans so far i love that answer i think that's a great answer that way you you can do anything in the world. And if you're smart enough and creative enough to create a podcast and do that kind of thing, I'm quite certain there's very little that will hold you back. I appreciate you calling. I appreciate you letting us know that you did that. And uh, hopefully if we can manage a way to do it, we'd love to get you in here in the studio sometime. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for calling in. Thanks, ladies. Thanks for coming on. No problem. And I want to thank Dr. Monica Ray for first for introducing that project and having them have something like that to do. I think that's great in this day and time. That's certainly something that when John and I were in school wouldn't have happened because no one had ever heard of a podcast or even a pod. So uh, next week, next time, it'll be two weeks, next time we are going to talk about Lyme disease. And yes, we will end up talking about chronic Lyme disease, if you actually believe that exists. We're going to talk about the pitfalls of chronic Lyme disease as well. But for now, that is to your health.